right, we are going to start a series called Change or Die. It is the annual season of personal change. I'm going to exercise more. I'm going to eat right. I'm going to, I don't know, stop smoking or finish my degree. I'm going to blank. Uh, whatever it is, go for it. But those things that we try to resolve to change, I want to let you know something. Those are tweaks. Those are tweaks to your life. They're not real change. And by the way, they don't last. Okay, they don't last. I don't know how long this haircut is going to last. No one in my house likes it. No one. Do you like it? I don't care. Don't even answer. Don't even no, Thank you. I like you. Um, but... The thing is, is that every year we try to resolve to change something that we do. Uh, resolutions are about the what in our lives. The what. God's not interested in necessarily changing your what. He wants to change your why. Somebody say why. why. So today's message is change or die part one. The why behind your what. Say the title with me at all of our campuses. One, two, three. The why behind your what. Acts chapter 9 is where we're going to go. I encourage you to open up your phones at all of our campuses. Go to waterschurch.guide. Click on the notes page. The, I'm sorry, the notes section of waterschurch.guide. Very easy to get to on your internet browser device. And make sure you click notes. Or if you've got old-fashioned notes in-house, fill in the blanks. Write things down. Very important that you engage with the message more than just listening. Here's what I want to start off with. Somebody once said very wisely, if your religion hasn't changed your life, change your religion. If your faith isn't making an impact in how you live, change your faith. God is in the life-changing business. I want to say that again because I want you to say amen. God is in the life-changing business. He wants your life to change. He wants my life to change. And by the way, it's not just change one and you're done. It's continual change and transformation. That if you are in Christ Jesus, God is interested in taking you and developing you and discipling you and renovating you and renewing you into a completely new person for his glory. Amen, somebody. We're not here just to feel good about ourselves. Christianity is not about being a good person or a better person. Christianity is about change. Christianity is about inward transformation. The Bible calls it renewal of our minds. The Bible calls it the freedom of ourselves, our, our will, that, that when we come to Jesus, it's not that we just relocate on Sunday mornings for an hour before the football game and that we're no longer sleeping in on Sunday, now we're going to church. No, no, no it's more than just going to church or believing a few creeds or performing a few deeds. Christian change is internal, it's deep, and it transforms you from the deepest part of you outwardly so that when people look at you, they know there's something different about you. And when they ask you, you can tell them, I put my faith in a man who beat death. His name is Jesus Christ. If your religion hasn't changed your life, change your religion. There's a big difference, write this down, there's a big difference between external adjustments and internal transformation. 
So maybe your adjustment this year was, I'm gonna get to church. I think I, think I need a little bit of religion in my life. You know you can go to church all your life and not go to heaven. You know that you can know the Bible chapter and verse and not go to heaven. One of the most incredibly important things to understand is who killed Jesus? Everybody wants to blame the Jews. It wasn't the Jews, it was the leaders of the Jews. It was the religious leaders of the Jews. It was the Pharisees, it was the Sadducees. I, I wanna tell you, it was the churchgoers who killed Jesus. You can go to church your whole life and not have a living relationship with the God of the universe. Going to church doesn't save you. Hey, going to Waters Church doesn't save you. Waters Church is not the transformation agent of the human heart. Coming and listening to me doesn't necessarily make you a good person. Those are external adjustments. Uh, external adjustment about where you go to church or, or what you do with your life. That doesn't, that doesn't really change anything. God's not worried so much about your outside as much as he's transforming or working on or looking to change what's inside of you. It's what's inside that gives birth to what comes outside of you. This is why Jesus said, if you make the tree good, the fruit will be good. You can't get good fruit from a bad root. Come on, somebody. This is why some people will be perfectly religious on the outside, but on the inside, they're full of greed and malice and hate. This is why sometimes religion has started more wars and killed more people than irreligion. This is why the atheists have a point about why they don't think there's a God because of all the damage that religious people have done. I wanna tell you something. That's because there's a whole bunch of people in the world that are religious on the outside and dark on the inside. Come on, somebody. Amen. Jesus is not interested in changing what you do before he changes who you are. 2021 is gonna be a change for our church, open up new campuses, uh, sending people into new countries. We're on the verge of sending Brandon and Michelle, our campus pastors, down to Guatemala. They're reopening the church. But all of those things are wonderful external realities. But you have to understand that there was internal change that started to produce these external realities. The internal change was that Jesus got a hold of some people. Jesus turned Brandon Braddock from a drunk who used to show up at our old building every Sunday and leave before I gave him a chance to get saved. He showed up like that for three years, drunk and hungover, coming to church. I like somebody who's coming to church when they're drunk and hungover. Come to our church. We'll get that fixed in Jesus' name. Come on, somebody. He came and he sat in the back and he, and he heard the message and he would leave as quickly as possible. And, and, and he's not going to Guatemala to get his life right. He's going to Guatemala because Jesus has made his life right. You see, that's what we're talking about when it comes to the gospel and change. Jesus is gonna deal with the deep realities of your life before he's ever worried about the external realities of your life. Change or die. Somebody say it. Change or die. Change or die. Just turn to your neighbor and say, change or die. If you're sitting next to your wife, God bless you. Where do I get this title, change or die? Jesus said it. Jesus said it, actually. He didn't, just, he didn't use the word change or die. He used the word repent or perish. Repent is the word for change. Change your mind. Change how you think. If you change how you think, you will change what you do. 
So this comes from Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13, verse 1, it says that there were some present who, uh, at that very time, Jesus is teaching, who there were some present at that very time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. So what's that all about? Well, there's these groups of people. They were Galileans from the northern part of Israel where Peter, James, and John were from. Pilate, the sadistic evil king who ruled in Judea, uh, employed by the Romans, decided to really ruin the Jewish people's lives one day. And so what he did is he took some people from the northern part of Israel and he killed them and then he took their blood and he mixed it with the sacrifices in the temple. This would, have been a, this would have been an abomination to the Jewish people. He did it because he was sadistic and evil and cruel and he wanted to dominate God's people. He wanted to tell them who was in charge of the Jewish people. Not, not their God, but, but Rome. This was a tragedy. This was a horrible national nightmare. This was like 9-11. For them. And, 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 the, and, the, and so you have to understand that, that, that Jesus is teaching, and there are some people who remember the tragedy of the Galileans, and they come to Jesus and they almost kind of remind him, or he's reminded when he sees them of these people. And I'm sure that they made some assumptions. You know, if you remember after 9 11, that a lot of Christian leaders would say that's because 9 11 happened in New York and Washington, D.C., because there's so many sinners there. Or after Katrina, there's so much sin in New Orleans. And these people don't read their Bible because here's what Jesus said to the people who were talking about the Galileans who suffered so horribly under Pilate. Verse two of Luke chapter 13, look what he says. And he answered them, he said, do you think these Galileans, and I, I just have this in my notes, this isn't in the text, just insert your least favorite people who suffered. Right there. Do you think these New Yorkers, do you think these Louisianans, do you think these you know, ex-people do you think these people at the Capitol this past week, do you think these people in Minnesota this past summer, do you think these people were worse sinners than all other Galileans? He says, no, because they suffered this way. He says, no, but I tell you, unless you repent or change, you will all likewise perish. I see in this country, I see, I hear this in this country a lot about people saying this a lot. They, they just say, man, things are getting so bad, and they are. But can I tell you that it's always been bad? It's been bad since Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit. That's how it's been bad since then. I mean, for heaven's sakes, they had two kids, one killed the other. Right? So it's always been bad. The human condition has always been a mess. All, the, the thing is, is that we're seeing more of it now, two reasons. No, more of it now, two reasons why. Number one reason is because we have social media and we have pocket cameras and we can go anywhere and film someone else doing something terrible and post it so that we can feel better about ourselves that we're not like them. So this, this is the, the stage, the age in which we live where it's very easy to look at other people and say they should change. It's very easy to look across the aisle of your political influence and say they should change. Very, very easy for us Protestants to look at Catholics and say they should change. Very, very easy for white people to say that about black people or black people to say that about white people or young people to say that about old people or old people to say that about young people or here's another one or women to say that about men or men to say that about women. Men, that's the world's mentality. But here's God's mentality. All gospel change begins with me. So when we're talking about change, I'm not talking to the person that you wish was listening to me today. Don't, don't go 
floating this out on somebody else's Facebook page. You really needed to hear this message. <laughs> this is for you. This is for me. Hey, I need to change. Pastor Tim, you got some issues, man. Yup. I need Jesus to change me. I get caught up in the social media nasty. I go and I post something and somebody says, hey, that's not pastoral. Yeah, I need Jesus to change me. Don't look at me so sanctimoniously too, by the way. You need some serious change. <laughs> and you in Winsocket too. Don't get me started. I need to, that, this is gospel change. Gospel change is not me using the Bible to beat you over the head and try to change what you do. Gospel change is letting Jesus into my heart to change what I do. I need to change. Turn to your neighbor now and say, I need to change. There you go, husbands. There you go, wives. There you go, children. There you go, parents, right? We need to change. So God is in the life change business. I mean, this is what he does from Genesis onward, right? He changes people. One of the things that he does oftentimes is he changes names to say you're now a new person. Like, for instance, he changes Abram, meaning exalted father, into Abraham, father of many nations. And, and Abraham is the father of many nations. We all have faith in Abraham's God, even though we're not Jewish people, descendants of Abraham, because God's word came true. God's change in Abraham came true and Abraham is now our father through Jesus Christ. Simon becomes who? Peter. Simon becomes rock. His name means rock. It means that he's strong. And when you, when you, when you look at the Gospels, Simon's not strong, is he? He's, he's nothing like a strong man. In fact, he's wilting before a little girl as Jesus is getting crucified. And then he starts cursing out you know, himself, trying to deny Jesus at his darkest moment. That's not a strong man. That's not a rock. But Simon lives up to, eventually, the name that Jesus gave him, Peter, when he stands up on the day of Pentecost and preaches to the same people he couldn't stand in front of just a few weeks earlier, and he tells them, with your wicked hands you put the Lord of glory to death, but God has raised him to life again, and we are witnesses, and unless you repent and believe, you shall die. And they all come to Jesus. Amen. Powerful change. And then, and then, there's another guy. His name is Saul of Tarsus. And Saul of Tarsus becomes who? Paul, Paul the apostle. God changes his name. Saul, who was named after Israel's first king, the guy who was head and shoulders above everybody else in the nation, the guy who everybody wanted to be king, the guy who came from the tribe of Benjamin. Paul came from the tribe of Benjamin. And so Paul, or Saul, uh, patterned his life after his, his spiritual hero, if you will. And Saul's life didn't end well, but Saul started well. And so Saul, maybe, maybe he wanted to try to undo the reputation of the name Saul. I don't know, but he was called Saul, and he was from Tarshish, a very educated, highfalutin city, and he was a Roman citizen citizen, which gave him the ability to travel all over the known world without a passport, basically. And, 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 and he was also a, a Jew and a Pharisee, which, which gave him a lot of clout with the religious people who put Jesus to death just a few weeks ago. And just at the beginning of the gospel taking root in the small nation of Israel in the first century, Saul is the church's biggest enemy, isn't he? He, he wants to kill them. He wants to, he wants to persecute them. He wants to wipe Christianity off the map. 
And Jesus gets a hold of this man and turns him into the greatest evangelist the world has ever seen. In fact, outside of Jesus, no man has had more impact on human history than Paul the apostle, who was formerly a hater of Christianity, named Saul of Tarsus. The point that I'm trying to make is, no one is beyond the power of God's ability to save. No one. Maybe you got somebody, you're just so desperate for them to come back to Jesus or come to Jesus. Maybe you got a friend, a family member, a father, a brother, a son, a daughter, and you're just praying, or you just think there's no way. I got news for you. God takes pleasure in doing what seems impossible. Jesus said, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. God can change any heart, any mind, any person. Maybe you're looking at your life and you're saying, this year, I'm off to a rough start already. I mean, I'm only 10 days in and it's already pretty crummy. And you're repeating the same mistakes from 2020 or you're repeating the same mistakes from the last 15 years and you think it's never gonna change. Don't give up hope. Because God is in the business of life change. And so I wanna talk about this guy and we're gonna spend some time in this series in one chapter of the Bible, Acts chapter nine. One chapter, and then possibly another chapter coming up. But anyway, Acts chapter nine is gonna be the main thrust of this uh, series. So would you stand with me as we go to the word of God today? Acts chapter nine. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogue at Damascus, so that if he found anybody belonging to the way, and that's an interesting name for Christianity, the way, Men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shined around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, but rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand. Look at this. Look at this. They led him by the hand. How humiliating for this mighty, traveling, very educated, highfalutin person. They led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus, and for three days he was without sight, and he, either nate, he neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street that is called Straight at the house of Judas. Look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias, as any of us would have said, answered saying, Lord, I have heard from many about this man how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem, and here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for my sake. So Ananias departed and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me to you that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized. Somebody say baptized. If you got Jesus, you get baptized. Can I get a good amen? Okay, and taking food, he was strengthened 
For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, we thank you that you are in the business of life change. That we are transformed by you. All of our efforts will fail on the merits, but if you change us, Lord, we shall be changed. I pray that by, the, by this date next year, we're different people. By your power, by your grace, and for your glory. Help us to see Jesus, him and him only. In his mighty name we pray. And everybody said, amen. amen. God bless you. Have a seat. Gospel change. Here's point number one. Gospel change is not external, it's internal. Gospel change is not external, it's internal. We've been saying that all along. Now we're going to write it down officially as a point. The Apostle Paul has an internal change that affected the external reality of his life. The scripture describes Paul, or Saul, and I'm gonna go back and forth with Saul and Paul all day. I don't got any hope of getting this one right, so just grace, <laughs> okay? The scripture describes Saul, verse one, as breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. That's verse one. And not only that, but he, he went to the high priest because the church had dispersed from Jerusalem. They were getting persecuted. This is an early movement of, G, of Christianity. They were getting persecuted in Jerusalem where it all started. And so they start to spread out. They go north to a city called Damascus. In Damascus, there was estimates of up to 40,000 Jews at the time. So they felt that that was a safe place to go in the Roman world. Kind of like a Jerusalem north, if you will. And so they flee there. Paul or Saul hears about and he decides to go after them. It's not enough for Saul to just hate Christianity. He's going to the leaders of Judaism to get papers to go outside of his uh, city to travel and bring his hate with him. <laughs> chapter 8 tells us a little bit more detail. Way back, one more chapter in chapter 8, it describes Saul this way. Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He Look at this passage. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. I mean, this guy would have gone to your house it wasn't enough to just have a, a political or social or religious disagreement with you. He would have gone to your house and he would have dragged you out. Sometimes I think we read the scriptures and we don't pay attention to what's really there. This is not a friendly person. This is not somebody that you go to Dunkin' Donuts with. Right? This is somebody that hates you. Three facts about Saul from this passage. Letter A, Saul is filled with internal rage. He's filled with rage. He hates people. And how, how appropriate is that comment right there about our current climate? What's the problem with America? People just hate. The people who talked about love and peace for 30 years in this country are oftentimes the people with the most hate. This is kind of ironic. 
This is somebody, this is a commentator on one of the news networks, and he's like tweeting out this rage. He wants people who disagree with him politically to be killed. Like this is, this is where we are as a nation now. We're not happy just disagreeing or debating. Now we want to kill our opponents. Now we want to talk about having a civil war. Everybody, everybody hoping for a civil war, watch out what you hope for. That's going to affect everybody. Scripture says, as far as it depends on you, Christians, live peacefully with all men. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. What are we here to do? We're here to bring peace and pray for our president and our leaders that we might live lives of peace so that we can proclaim the gospel and peace can be in the hearts of men and women through Jesus. It's filled with rage. He was raging, verse three of chapter eight, ravaging the church. The word ravaging means brutal, and sadistic cruelty in the Greek. This is, this is not a pleasant man. And I know, I know we, 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 we look at the Bible through rose-colored glasses. This was an evil, hateful man. Number two, or letter B, he creates enemies out of brothers. That's what we're doing as a country right now. These are our countrymen. We hate each other. It's, it's kind of ironic, too, because we'll hate each other on Facebook and Twitter, but then when we're face-to-face -face with each other, it's all, hi, how are you? I mean, we're all keyboard jockeys with our keyboard swords, just going to slice them a new one, and then we see them in public, hi. You know, uh, this is Paul, though. This is Saul. He's, he, it says this in verse 1. He was breathing out threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. Remember, Christians, that the original disciples of the Lord were Jews. In fact, up to this point in the Bible, there's only one person who is non-Jewish who was saved, the Ethiopian eunuch. Everybody saves Jew. Saul lets this hatred take his brothers and turn them into enemies. This is our country, this is our world. And by the way, it is nothing new. People want to say how racist America is. I have an elder on staff at this church. His name is Felix. He preaches for you. He comes from Nigeria. He always laughs when anybody ever tells him that it's racist in this country. He's like, you should see what it's like in Nigeria. You want to talk about racism? And they're all black. It's just different forms of black. And they all hate each other. They kill each other. And they kidnap each other. And abduct each other. I mean, we're not doing that. It's not that bad. But let me tell you something. This is nothing new. What we are seeing on the news has been the human condition since the dawn of time. And a politician can't do anything about it. And a law can't do anything about it. And a societal change or a move or a relocation or a New Year's resolution can do nothing about it. The only thing that can change the human heart is Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Amen. This is Paul. This is Saul turning enemies out of brothers. And then let her see he pursues people that he disagrees with. Man, uh, this is very relevant to today, isn't it? I'm going to go and I'm going to comment. I'm just going to let them know. I'm just going to let them know. I'm not happy enough just to have a difference of opinion. I'm going to let them know why I think they stink. This is our country. This is our world. It is nothing new. He went to the high priest in verse 2. He went to the high priest in Jerusalem and asked for the... He's like, give me a permission slip to kill some people. This is our world. This is the human condition. And I want you to notice that Saul is not 
interested in changing. Like, people got to realize that the person who least wanted to find God, find Jesus, was Saul of Tarsus. That's why I always get a kick out of when people say, I found Jesus. No, you didn't. <laughs> you were not looking for Jesus. He is the one who finds you. Why do I press in on that? Because that humbles you. You are not the person who achieved salvation. You are the recipient of God's amazing grace that saved a wretch like you. Hallelujah. And me too. <laughs> okay? But the point that I'm trying to make is he's not trying to resolve to become something new, a new person. If he had a New Year's resolution back in that year, AD 30. Six or whatever, it would have been to kill more Christians. That would have been his New Year's resolution. If there's one thing that we love to talk about is about how much we're going to change. Or we're going to change the world. Or we're going to become different. We can't do it. We can't change anybody. Anybody ever try to change someone? <laughs> Every wife in the house should be like, yes. <laughs> You know, the old story about marriage is he married her thinking she wouldn't change, and she did, and she married him thinking he would change, and he didn't. You ever try to change? Like, you can, you can change outward behaviors. You can change outward habits. You can't change inside. This, this, is, this is why people will get in and out of rehab. They'll get in and out of halfway houses. They'll get in and out of the same situations. You can't, you can't change others. Here's why. Because you can't even change you. It's amazing how we think we're experts at changing other people, but we can't even change ourselves. Self-proclaimed experts who have a failure record of changing ourselves, now we're going to try to change everybody else. That's, that's why gospel change has to start with you. Because you're the problem. You're the problem in your life. I'm the problem. A change of scenery doesn't change you. A change of relationships doesn't change you. They can have an influence, but they can't truly change you from the inside out. And so what I'm just trying to say is that you've got to realize that Saul of Tarsus is not trying to change. He's not even interested in changing. It is Jesus who changes Saul. Sovereignly. Gracefully. And this is the point that we have to realize and, 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 and there's some, some things that have to change in us and the only one that can change that thing in us is Jesus. Number two in your notes, gospel change happens when Jesus challenges our internal priorities. The why behind the what. There's the thing that you do but behind that thing that you do is the why you do it. You can be a religious nut for the wrong reasons. You can clean up your act. You can get an education. You can become a good parent, a great neighbor, a wonderful model citizen. All for the wrong reasons. 
That's why it's not necessarily first about what changes on the outside. It's about changing on the inside. Because there's a why behind your what. I take you to the text. Verse three. Now as he went on his way, just doing his thing, suddenly he approached the mountain. Suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why? Circle the word why in your notes or in your Bibles. It's okay to mark up your Bibles. Why? Are you persecuting me? Here's the thing. Whenever Jesus has a conversation with somebody, it's never a normal conversation. It's never. You ever notice that? You read the Gospels. You gotta read the Gospels because it's hilarious how Jesus talks to people. He never asks, you, you never walk away from Jesus thinking, oh, I understand. He's always, he's always going to do something in the conversation that digs a little bit deep. Like the man who comes to him and says, Lord, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he says, why do you call me good? There's none good but God. He's like, why, why do you answer that way? He's trying to dig deeper. Do you believe that I'm God or just good? And so you've got to realize that when Jesus has a conversation with people, he's digging deeper. And this is why I press here. Because Jesus is the word of God. He's the living word of God. He's not a religious teacher. He's not a religious reformer. He didn't come to start a religion. He came to be God in human flesh. And the way he lived was in accordance with the word of God. The Bible says the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He's the living word of God. And when you have a conversation with Jesus, things start to change in your life. Everything God changes, he changes through his word. In the beginning was the heavens and the earth. And the earth was formless and void and darkness hovered over the surface of the deep. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. What's the Bible teaching us from page one? If you want change, get a hold of God's word. Are you, are you hearing what I'm saying? Because this is the best part of the message, right? Just letting you know, this is the best part. If you want change in your life, get into God's word. There is something dynamic about the word of God. There is something powerful about the word of God. The Bible says the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, able to penetrate to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and nothing is hidden that will not be disclosed before the word of the living God. It is God's word that transforms darkness into life, death into life, blind eyes into open eyes and dead people into alive people through Jesus Christ. I'm not just getting excited. I'm trying to show you that if you want change in your life, it starts with Jesus, who is the living, abiding word of God. Some of you are wondering, why do I have so much darkness in my life? Because you don't spend enough time listening to Jesus, who is the light of light, light of life. The darkness on your television set, darkness in your neighborhood, darkness in your conversations with your friends, with your neighbors, with your coworkers. There's darkness. And you spend all that time in darkness and you never turn the light on. You gotta get into this word. This word will shine on you. This word will illuminate you. Did you notice, by the way, in Saul's interaction, the first thing that happens, a light shines. These are intentional words. These are not just throwaway lines. Jesus is showing, if you want change, come to me. I'll shine on your life, and change will happen through my word with you. And Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? Now, we get all hung up, and we should. 
I guess in some ways, on the fact that when Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? Uh, Saul was really attacking the church, and so when you attack the church, you attack Jesus. And that's true. That's true. But that's not the main point of the text. The main point of the text is he says, why? Notice that Jesus doesn't say, Saul, stop it. (laughs) You ever notice that? Like, that's what I would do if I was Jesus. Hey, stop it. Don't, Don't kill my people anymore. But he asks him, why are you persecuting me? The why I couldn't get past this week. Here's the answer to Saul's why. Are you ready? He wanted to. I know that's hard to take, but the reason why we do the things that we do is because we want to. There's something inside of us that wants to do what is dangerous, destructive, harmful to us. The Bible calls that the sin nature. The old man. The flesh. There's many synonyms in the Bible. Every single one of us is going to struggle with this. The old man will be there, old, world, or old woman, don't want to discriminate, will be there to upend our lives in any number of ways. The old man is committed to killing you. Slowly. Painfully. And if you want to deny the old man, you are a sitting duck. You can't change him. You can't, you can't reason with him. You can't educate him out of it. He's destructive. And this is what Saul was. Inside was coming out. The reason why Saul killed was because internally he was a killer. The reason why he hated is because internally he was a hater. And by the way, Saul was a Pharisee. <laughs> what is a Pharisee? The most religiously devoted person in Jesus' day and filled with hate and rage. The old man was alive and well. And then Jesus declares and he says, verse five, look at the conversation. Saul responds, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Now up to this point, Saul thought that he was on God's side. Saul, you could say it like this, up to the point, no, I mean, Let me say it as clearly as I can so you get it. Up to this point, Saul thought he was right, he was good, he was doing what God wanted him to do. You understand what I'm saying? The point is, is that when Jesus encounters him, he realizes immediately that he's actually on the other side of God. He's not doing God's will. He's opposing God's will. Why am I pressing in on this? Because there are countless Americans, there are countless people around the world who think they are right. And that's why they do what they do. They're, up there, they're convinced. This is why, what sociologists call confirmation bias. Why we choose a certain news network to listen to and a different news network to demonize. Because the di- one news network tells us what we already want to hear. Because if there's something that we are convinced of, it is that we are right. And when you have a connection, when you, not, not a connection, when you have an engagement with Jesus, the first thing that he's going to tell you is, you're wrong. You're not right, you're wrong. You're not good, you're a sinner. This is why you get crucified. 
When you tell religious people that they're wicked, they tend to get grumpy. Are you following this? I want you to write this down. Jesus upsets our priorities in penetrating ways. To have a relationship with Jesus, not the God of your imagination. Jesus is going to challenge you in every area of your life. I was having a conversation with one of our campus pastors last week. I couldn't wait to share this story because we were talking about Jesus and how cool he was and how much we love Jesus. And it was a great conversation. But then he asked me a question. He says, hey, Tim, he says, Tim, if, you th- if Jesus was alive today and talking and preaching today in today's churches, actually in our church, what do you think would happen to you? I said, I'd probably get bugged. I'd probably get irritated. He'd, he'd probably say something that would challenge me in a way that I don't want to be challenged. Because to have a relationship with Jesus is, is not to have a relationship with the God that you have imagined being there. I call it the Americanized God, the God who hates the same people you hate, thinks the same way you think, votes the same way you vote, likes the people that you like and doesn't like the people you don't like. The God who has a serious problem with the sins of other people, but is kind of cool with your sins. That, that's not G- Jesus challenges you. He's going to dig deep. In another text, Paul talks about this moment. In Acts chapter 26, actually. And he recounts this moment, and he gives us a little added detail. He says that not only did Jesus say, why are you persecuting me? He says, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. It's hard for you to kick against the goads, Saul. What is he talking about? Well, in those days, farmers would take a stick with a strong poke at the end of it, a a needle-type poke, and they would stick it in the heel of the cow or the ox that was pulling the cart just to prod him because you couldn't motivate a cow any other way or an ox of that in those days. And so they would stick the, the needle in the heel in the soft spot of the, of the oxen and the oxen would move. Here's the deal. There are some areas that hurt in our lives that are Jesus trying to change our lives. You're praying the hurt away and Jesus is on the other end of the stick saying, mm-mm. I put that there. You think getting a new spouse is going to fix it. Your spouse is in your life to change you and start to goad you to looking at the things in you that need God's grace to save. It's quiet in this building. God help me to finish this sermon without getting shot. Amen. Verse six, but rise and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. I've got news for you, Paul. We're gonna go in a different direction. So I love this. Look what Jesus says. This is so fantastic. Jesus tells him to go to the city he was planning to go to. Anybody see that? He doesn't go back to Jerusalem. Turn around, no, no, you wanna go to Damascus? Go, but now you're gonna go with a new attitude. I'm gonna tell you what to do. So here's point three. Gospel change doesn't first alter the course of our life, it alters the life in our course. It doesn't change necessarily everything about some people. If I come to church, all my problems will go away. No. If you come to Jesus, how you face those problems will change. 
See, here's what you understand. When you come to Jesus, you're still gonna have the same people around you. You're still gonna have the same problems, the same proclivities. You're still gonna have the same job. You're still gonna live in the same neighborhood. But here's what changes. The you inside you. So that the way you engage with what's around you is different. This is the change that Jesus brings. Three things and then we're done. Number three, or number one with, 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 with Saul when he becomes Paul. Jesus gives him a new internal compass. This is what you get. When you come to Christ, he gives you a new inward desire. Ezekiel talks about this. I'm gonna take away your heart of stone. I'm gonna give you a heart of flesh. I'm gonna do things inside of you so that you want to do what I want you to do. That's gospel change. It's not religion, it's not practice on the outside. It's what God does in our hearts. Uh, it says this in verse six, you will be told what you are to do. And verse eight, he, these are all pictures important for us. They led him by the hand. I mean, this man is just crushed and humbled. And he's got a new leader in his life. Number two, Jesus creates brothers out of enemies. Remember, Saul before Christ was creating enemies out of brothers. Now Jesus is creating brothers out of enemies. He's turning him around 180 degrees. This guy named Ananias, the Lord said, go look for Saul. He's praying. This, this is Ananias who Saul wanted to kill. And now Ananias is coming. Look at this verse 17. Ananias departed, entered the house, laying his hands on Saul. This former enemy is now Saul's brother. And then scales falling from his eyes and he's filled with the Holy Spirit. He's baptized. Transformation. God doesn't just save you. He puts you in a church. He puts you in a family. He puts you in with the brothers and sisters of Christ to help spur you on in Christ, to encourage you, to lift you up, to pray for you, to bless you. And then number three, Jesus empowers him for a new priority. My, my life was going, this is how you know you've gotten saved. My life was going this way. It was all about me. It was all about getting money. It was all about being successful. It was all about this. It was all about pleasure. It was all about having fun. And Jesus came, and now it's all about him. It's all about him. I want Jesus. I just, I need Jesus to have his way with my life. You know you're saved when you can say, whatever happens, I want Jesus to have his way with my life. I might lose my house, I might lose my job, I might lose my, my, my health, I might lose my wealth, but I know that in all things God's gonna work for my good according to His purposes. That's how you know you're saved, man. That's how you know you're saved. See, a lot of, a lot of pretenders are out there, they think they're following Jesus, they're really following the money, the blessings, the better life. That's why Paul will say in a Roman prison, he says, I know how to be poor, I know how to be rich, I know how to be hated, I know how to be loved, I know how to be full, I know how to be starving. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. It's all about Jesus. Look what it says in verse 20. It says this, and so immediately he proclaims Jesus in the synagogue. He's the son of God. That's a change in priority right there. Wanted to kill his followers. Now he's talking about how he's actually the son of God. You know what Jesus, you know what, what Paul doesn't talk about? He doesn't talk about himself, does he? He doesn't talk about the light. He doesn't talk about the sound. He doesn't talk about the moment. He just talks about Jesus. You know you're saved when you, when you, when you can't stop talking about Jesus. He's just, he's just gonna come out in conversation. You're not gonna be weird about it. You're just gonna talk about it. The Lord did that in my life. The Lord is what I'm all about. I love the Lord. You just can't, it's, it's not something you have to produce. It's something that's inside. The internal has been changed. The external 
is, is transformed and renewed. Sermon in a sentence. Jesus overwhelms your life, changes the why behind the what, and sets the course of your life on fire for God. This is what happens with Saul, who becomes Paul. And every single person who's listening to me or watching me right now is doing so because of that moment. Because God took one of the greatest enemies of this movement and turned him into the greatest proponent of this movement. God can change anybody. And most importantly, he can change you.